Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and it is March 24, 2009, and welcome to the future of open source, the future of education, <laughs> which should maybe be the future of open source. This is part of our interview series uh, sponsored by KnowledgeWorks and Illuminate. We express our appreciation and thanks to them. Sheila, I'm going to mute you for just a second because we can hear your background noise. Uh, we're glad to have you here. Before we introduce the guest panelist, I am going to give you a quick introduction if you're new to Illuminate. Um, you'll see in this slide a um, set of features that you can use. We probably won't do any polling tonight, so you don't need to worry about that. But if you look down at the bottom of the participant window, you can see some emoticons that allow you to express your uh, response to things. And the little smiley face says that you're happy with something. Clapping is another way of expressing appreciation. Confused emoticon says you're confused. And thumbs agree with something. Uh, you can send a message in the chat area. I want to encourage you to go up to uh, View Layout and select the Wide Layout. And that will give you a little bit better view of the chat window. Uh, you can scroll by pretty quickly depending on how many people are in the... We don't have many tonight, so uh, that shouldn't be a problem, but it's still a, it's a better view uh, from my standpoint. If you do send a message, you can send a message to the whole room, or if you click on that little down arrow, you can send it to an individual participant, but be alerted that anybody who's a moderator can actually see all of the messages, whether they are um, they're private. Okay, at, uh, at this time I want you to look for a little wand that has a red star at the end, like the one here. You'll find that to the left of your uh, whiteboard, the, the area that's showing the slides. And if you would, go ahead and click on this, click on that little wand and then click on this map and let us know where you are right now. You know that the path of a storm. So one in Australia, which is Catherine. Hooray. Rest of the United States. Feel free to put uh, the city that you're in in the chat along with maybe the temperature and what time it is there. Catherine will be most interested. OK, so it's a delight to have a special panel together tonight. Uh, sure, appreciative of their uh, being able to make themselves available. Um, looking forward to a, a really good discussion, discussion that I care quite a bit about, which is the use of open source software in education. I'm going to ask at this time if our um, guests would, would each introduce themselves, um, give a 30-second introduction. You'll have a chance during the, the rest of the evening to say a little bit more, but just a brief background of uh, who you are and your association with open source, and we'll start with you, Jeff. Hi, um, my name is Jeffrey Elkner. I'm a teacher in Arlington, Virginia at Arlington Public Schools, and I've been a computer science teacher. I've been using free software in the classroom since the mid-90s. And Jeff, for our audience, would you just tell us uh, why you called it free software? Well, um, free, the free and free software refers to freedom. And um, I'm sure I'll be bringing that up again later tonight as the discussion goes on. But to me, that's the, the, the real important thing 
about free software in, in the context of education is that it gives us the freedom to share, to collaborate, to learn with each other without the restrictions that proprietary software has. Great. Thank you. So Sheila, you're next. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Sheila Gatling. I am a retired uh, veteran of the middle school uh, classroom. I used open source uh, for several years before I retired. Um, currently, I'm a co-founder of uh, Moodle Rooms, uh, an e-learning company. And I just found open source to be the answer to uh, the everyday uh, tech questions in the classroom. It was just a wonderful um, opportunity for my students to uh, use technology without having the uh, expensive outlay uh, that they normally would if it was up, you know, if they had to, to buy it themselves. So it, it absolutely changed my life in the classroom and theirs too. <laughs> Great, and I'm hoping you'll talk more about that, Sheila. Next sure. up is Mike Huffman. Hello, I'm Mike Huffman from Indiana. Uh, I have uh, recently retired, spent about 35 years in the Department of Education, and the past six or seven of those involved in implementing Linux throughout the state of Indiana in Indiana's high schools. Uh, we developed that project and, and pursued it for one very important reason, and that is improving learning. Uh, schools simply can't afford proprietary software and expensive hardware. They have to look at a new way of doing this. And open source is a major piece of that. You know, and I I totally agree with Jeff and everyone about the freedom, the uh, free software moniker. Uh, but for schools, it's a very practical matter. And we'll have an opportunity to discuss that. Terrific. Thanks, Mike. Catherine, you with us? I am indeed. Hi, everyone. It's great to be able to talk with you all um, from this side of the world. And um, I, I came to open source through doing my uh, PhD. Uh, I was looking at how to uh, calculate the costs that uh, the federal government and state governments were paying to proprietary software as part of my research. And um, I accidentally came across the budget estimates for one state in Australia called Victoria. Uh, and I accidentally came across the forward estimates in formal budget papers for Microsoft licenses. And I was staggered by the amount of money that state was allocating to those licenses at that time. And I was talking to my son, who at that stage was 16. and. Um, he kept saying to me, have you looked at open source? And he wouldn't let up. He kept telling me that I needed to look at open source. And uh, eventually he got me to look at open source. And uh, I have been a convert ever since. And so um, uh, my PhD some time ago now um, looks at uh, what open source means and what it means for schools. and. 
I've uh, since that time written book chapters about the issues for open source in schools and done uh, cost analyses of those and um, I've uh, uh, talked and written about it uh, from the point of view of freedom, from the point of view of cost, from the point of view of students if they're really going to have uh, the ability to be citizens in the 21st century, they need to not only be uh, users and consumers of technology but producers of those technologies and it seems to me that open source is the way that we can do that. So that's a bit of background about how I came to open source. I worked for 25 years for the South Australian Department of Education. I'm now an associate professor at the University of Canberra and I also have national responsibility for technology policies, uh, the committee that makes those technology policies uh, across schools, vocational education training and higher education. Um, so that, I'm sorry Steve, that was a bit longer than 30 seconds but that's, that's my introduction. Well, we give you allowance because you're speaking from such a distance. <laughs> Laura, you. you're next. Um, well, there's not a lot left, but I'll say um, I've worked uh, in, in education at both the K-12 and higher ed um, for about 20 years now. And one of, the, one of the pieces with open source from a teacher perspective, um, it, it gets a little bit to that flexibility piece, but one of the things that I really started hearing teachers saying is, you know, if they had to wait for a district to adopt a specific piece of software, um, by the time they needed it, it was it was out of date. And what open source is allowing teachers to do is is to go out and find, you know, through the help of at, when I was at the department, things we were doing, um, but through others to find software that they can use in their classroom, send home, and have with kids, and and not worry about that one year lag that it might take for adoption and and the funding that would go with that adoption. So open source has allowed teachers a lot more flexibility to be innovative in their classroom. But it gets back to what everyone is saying and one of the mantras we've used in, in Indiana is affordable, sustainable, repeatable, and scalable. And open source for education is the only piece that's going to work if we want to put our money in teachers. Thank you, Laura. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit hard right off the bat. And I've put up a poll at the top of the screen that we can all participate in. And you'll see it's A, B, C, D, and E. Those letters across the top where the icons are. And let's assume that E actually represents F for fail. And if you were to give a grade to our educational system with regard to the use of open source right now, what would that grade be? And, and while you're picking that grade, you click on it, and it will show up next to your name. So Catherine says F. Um, I, I, I'd like to ask a very direct question. These interviews that I've been holding on the future of education have typically had between 50 and 100 people attend. You know, we've got by my count one, two, Denise maybe is only one person there, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We have eight people listening tonight. Is that reflective of a lack of understanding? about open source, why would we have so few people who would be interested in hearing about open source and education? And, and Jeff, we're going to start this round with you again. Well, I can only speak for the, my local jurisdiction. And I, I, um, 
I see I'm rating a little higher than um, my colleagues here, but uh, Arlington Public Schools has been very supportive over the years of sort of letting me be an incubator. I've been doing this for 10 years within the system, and I, it's, it's spreading. It's getting more and more. There's, there was even a discussion recently countywide about switching to open office and not paying for the next office license that's coming out. Um, our school system has supported the development of a content management system that we're using statewide now or piloting statewide in the state of Virginia. So the, I, I'd have to say that uh, within Arlington Public Schools, they've done a fairly good job. I mean, it's, it, I, they're open to the idea of, of, um, of going this way, and they're, they're exploring it more and more. Sheila, any response from you? Uh, I, I think we're uh, the reason why we have a smaller audience tonight is because the president is speaking. That is the only reason people are not here. Okay. Uh, as far as um, uh, using uh, the technology in 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 schools, um, people are. I, I know I gave my 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 rating as D. But in my school district on Long Island, um, if the instructional leader of the school is not uh, informed or uses technology, then the whole program suffers. Um, uh, oftentimes, it's farmed out to uh, people who come in and, and make presentations, or even the tech coordinator who is so overworked, um, you, you have literally too many cooks uh, spoiling the broth and not enough people in in my view in my area who are informed about the advantages of open source and would rather rely on something that costs X amount of dollars rather than opt for um, open source which is affordable and as someone said sustainable and reusable and and just the solution for schools today. So, um, Sheila, that's fascinating to me. Mike, do you think it's, it's as simple as decision-making about computers has been largely relegated to business units? Those business units get marketed to by commercial companies, and they are then purchasing things that are divorced from the actual classroom need? I could be part of that. I. You've heard some of this before, but I, I still firmly believe that the reason uh, schools aren't jumping on this on their own, and, and some are, I, I don't mean to say that none are, but, but the reason the majority aren't is because we still do not have a good implementation guide for schools. You know, steps one, two, three, and four. Uh, we still have issues regarding authentication and uh, authentication especially to a Windows uh, server, those are some of the things that, that keep people out. I think if those things were easy, especially in today's economy, this would be a no-brainer. Uh, and I think the sooner we get on those topics, the sooner we deal with them, the sooner we, we get Linux certification down to where it's manageable, um, people have ready access to it. I think schools will do this automatically. Catherine, you are quick to put the, the E slash F up there. What's your thought? 
Maybe you need to click your mic button for us to hear you. If you're talking, we're not hearing you. Can you hear me now? Yep. Can you hear me now? Sorry about that. Yeah, I think Australia is in a funny situation in that um, uh, while we have fantastic uh, software developments that are in open source like uh, Moodle, and like, I don't know how many people have seen uh, LAMS, and then we have uh, the Samba project. So we have a number of projects in Australia that are, uh, that are open source and terrific. But I think the reason in Australia and the reason I gave an E slash F is because um, when I think about, well, what would we want to see in terms of schools, I think about the penetration or the scalability that's occurred. And um, we see uh, open source mostly in the private sector, in private schools rather than the government sector. And so, um, and I think the reason that we don't see it in the government sector is because they're um, schmoozed by Microsoft in particular, but also other proprietary uh, software companies. And uh, there's a myth about um, the quality of off-the-shelf um, products where uh, our CIOs or CTOs tend to believe that um, if you get it off the shelf then it's going to work without any technical support, which obviously is not correct, but um, that's why I call it a myth. So I think there's some issues there about who has control of um, what software gets into schools. Laura? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with everyone so far. Um, I think for the most part, from the teacher perspective, those teachers truly don't care. Um, it's what you get used to. And, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of, of various studies out there between Blackboard and Moodle and, and through other open source and proprietary. And whichever one they start on first is the one they tend to like better um, because it's, it's a comfort level. And I think most people have have been using proprietary software. So as they start um, to shift over to open source, as soon as something looks a little different, um, your, their comfort level, the learning curve is back. And, and they're, you know, they're, I think we've all heard enough tech directors liken shifting to open source as moving from you know, Windows 3.1 to um, Windows 95 or from Mac to Windows back in, in the day. Um, and no one no one has really caught on to the fact that most kids really don't care. Most teachers truly don't care if they actually get the software in their classroom. Um, but there, there's such a perception that it's going to be difficult. And you know, if many of the packages don't look as slick as the proprietary software. And so it is, I think there is a, a perception that it's a lesser than um, piece of software that's going to education where business would have a proprietary piece. I think it's starting to shift. I, I know in Indiana, most of our schools are using open source. Many of them, if not most of them, I mean, as far as the LMS, most of them are using Moodle. Um, because when they, they look at, you know, and they look at the cost and they look at the benefits, but it, it's, it's showing them that flexibility piece that Jeff brought up, um, you know, showing them that hot potato can be put in with Moodle, you know, and all of the pieces that they know are still there. And because there isn't a company behind open source demoing it to them, um, it requires the school to do that. And that's where that tech director piece comes in. And if the tech director is not behind this, he is not going to demo all the features of open source 
when he can just, you know, install a box and give him a box. Okay, so this is really interesting to me, and I'm tempted to move into the solution piece to kind of drill down on on what we can do to help change this. But before we do, I'd like to explore a little bit more what the potential benefits are. And if we really, if if we were to relax a little and and think about um, open source within the context of the future of education, what kind of benefits could we reasonably describe as accruing from the use of open source software more broadly in schools? Can, can we be a little expansive here? And, and why don't we do this one by asking you as moderators to raise your hand if you'd like to address this question. If we're dreaming 10 years into the future and open source is a more pervasive part of education, what benefits would we see? So, so Catherine, you're first there. Uh, thanks, Steve. Uh, for me, it's really important for being able to develop uh, students uh, so that they can take their place uh, as a citizen in, in society once they leave school. We, I don't believe it's appropriate that schools uh, teach students skills of a particular piece of uh, software. They need to understand how to access uh, uh, support, how to access software that's uh, not going to break the bank. Uh, and they need to feel that they're in control of their own lives in doing that. And uh, the dependency model of proprietary software, I just do not see serving um, students in that way. For me, it's a bit. Proprietary software is a bit like uh, becoming an alcoholic. You come, become dependent upon a particular uh, product, and um, I don't think that that's appropriate for uh, developing uh, students as uh, lifelong learners. And alongside of that is the issue of costs that we've already canvassed today. Mike, your thoughts. Sorry, I hit the wrong button. Uh, I agree with everything Catherine said. I mean, we really have to begin teaching skills instead of software packages. We have to, to open all of that up. I think the benefits 10 years down the road of open source, there are a couple, actually. I think open source is having a huge impact right now on the private sector. I think it's pushing Microsoft in the development of new software and new ways of packaging it. Uh, a recent article in, in one of the magazines indicated that Windows Mobile may soon be released as open source. Uh, you know, I, I think it's having an impact in that regard. In the schools, the cost is the major issue uh, for acquiring it. In other words, they can get it free, but the main advantage is going to be access for the students. You know, in Indiana, we found that, that the single most important thing that we did was to put the technology in the hands of the kids. It invigorated the teachers. It improved their teaching. It, uh, it made them better. And it made learning better. And that is, that is really the key. How do we get the technology in the hands of the kids as quickly as possible? So thanks, Mike. Jeff, I'm really interested in your take on this, and I'm, thanks for, for allowing me to, to prompt you to raise your hand. I'm really interested in the piece of 
how does this play into sort of learner-centric models and specifically the sort of the tangible benefits that your students get from being involved in open source? Well, I, I, it's important at this point to reiterate, I forget whether it was Laura or Sheila who said this earlier, but they made a really powerful point. Um, this year I'm working with our second language learner population here at the school that I'm at, and I'm doing some interdisciplinary uh, teaching with, with um, two of my colleagues. And we started to explore this year with our second language learners Scratch, eToys, I'm starting to experiment a bit with Alice. And all of these things I discovered by only weeks ago, so several of them. And because they were free software, I was able to convince the uh, instructional technology coordinator here at the school to have them installed school-wide, and he just did that. There was no year-long wait. There was no uh, a process of, of having to go through an, uh, you know, a funding allocation. And we were able to be creative and to explore and experiment, and it, it's, it's benefited our students tremendously. Um, I also have students, uh, programming students, involved directly in creating free software. And there, there's another level of, of uh, benefit because they can w get mentored by working on real-world projects side by side with experts in, in software development. And all we don't need to. Uh, sign a non-disclosure agreement, or go through. You know, the first step doesn't have to be to talk to a lawyer before uh, my students can meet directly with people developing real-world applications that are that are that people are using all over the place. So, Jeff, I frequently reference you and your students when I'm talking about the value of uh, teaching open source in programming courses. Is it as simple as? saying that your students are better prepared in terms of, of real world uh, needs to, to be employed, or is it more complicated than that? But you know, is there a definite difference in their preparation level by using open source? Absolutely. Um, I was, uh, one of the most effective educational relationships in the history of humanity is the uh, master-apprentice relationship. And what free software enables us to do is, especially with the advent of the Internet, is to participate. My students can participate as apprentices with master programmers. And they're able to do that because the projects that they're working on are free. They have the freedom to share the source code. They have the freedom to allow the students to participate at whatever level they're ready and then to move up that level. Um, I, so at this point, many of my students have left high school as professional programmers because of that opportunity. So um, Laura, I don't think we've heard from you or from Sheila. Did either of you want to address this question? Uh, yeah, I did. I think, I think that uh, uh, the, the open source uh, really sort of levels the playing field. And teachers get, get to know students on another level because you're, you're sharing. You're working together. They're teaching you. You're teaching them. You're, they, they don't look upon you as the, uh, the one who holds all the knowledge, the keys to learning. 
uh, we're all in this together. And, and I think that is um, uh, something that can't be um, uh, really uh, described. You have to really uh, be in it. You're, you're really in the thick of things with students as they are constructing, collaborating, working together in uh, using the, the open source tools. It's really uh, uh, just a wonderful uh, experience, an extension to learning in the classroom. So Sheila, I know you, uh, I think you actually ran an LTSP lab when you were teaching. Yes. Yes, I did. So I got, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, is it, do you think it's fair to say that if we really wanted a computer pervasive environment for our kids at schools, if we really wanted a computer in front of each student, that we actually could do it? It's just that we aren't willing to oh, listen yes. to open source? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I think we could do it. Uh, I think that um, um, a lot of the things that we get rid of, <laughs> especially, uh, you know, everybody wants the new, new thing. Um, the computers uh, that I use for my uh, kids, I got out of the dumpster of the school district where I lived. They were throwing them away. They were getting the new uh, Macs. And they were throwing away their the old uh, uh, PCs with uh, the big square boxes. And I had nine computers and a um, one server, and it worked wonderfully well. It, Linux never dropped, never broke down. We never got the blue screen of death. Nothing. Uh, it worked like a charm all all year. Um, and and that to me. Um, uh, open source was the lifeline. You couldn't always, if, if your school only has one computer lab or two computer labs, you know, you have to sign up to go into the computer lab. It's not, um, uh, if you really want to do uh, uh, some serious uh, projects, you can't always get into, uh, use the, the computers when you need to. So having uh, a sizable number of computers in the classroom really uh, worked uh, well for me. and and solve that, that problem. So uh, it, it just changes the, the, um, the learning situation in, in your classroom. And it, it also acted as a, um, uh, uh, I didn't have classroom management problems, let me put it that way, because the, the kids really wanted to uh, work on the computers and, and their, their behavior improved greatly. I, I had sixth grade students, so. Um, it, it was a great experience. So Laura, I'm really glad, thank you, Sheila. Laura, I'm really glad mm -hmm. that you get the last word on this because I think there's, you have a lot to contribute. You, from your experiences in Indiana, what, what picture can you paint of the potential of open source software? Well, I think if, if we start looking at it from the student perspective, I mean, you know, I spent a weekend with a bunch of 14, 15, 16, and 17 year olds. Um, I mean, their expectation is instantaneous and better and better and better. And so when you look at open source software, I mean, Jeff had brought up using Scratch. I mean, as soon as the students come in with another piece of open source software or someone who has tweaked the code and it's better, they'll jettison that and, and move to the next one. It allows that flexibility. And I think when we're looking at student-centered education, um, that's the expectation of the kids that are in school right now. Not that you wait two or three years for the bugs in the program to be fixed. Um, not that you wait two or three years when you know you want to use 
some type of a feature with your software that it's instantaneous. And open source really has that potential. I think you know what what's missing now and, and is one of the things we were working on in Indiana is is coming up with that clearinghouse of open source titles and and seeing the new fixes that are um, you know coming onto different software so that teachers really have all the tools in front of them and can make the decisions as well as students as to which which piece of software best serves their needs at that particular time and that might change in three months or in six months if if the class Jeff is teaching next semester you know in the fall has a tweak. Um, and world languages now is going to be, you know, he's going to be wanting to use, um, you know, different software so he can do audio conferencing. He can he can easily pick that up and pull it down and not wait, you know, to write a letter to the software company and find out in, with a year or two later if they're going to put those pieces in place. But I think what we are missing it goes back to that clearinghouse. Um, the ease of use for teachers. Most teachers don't want to sit on OSALT or SourceForge or any of these large sites and, and download 30 or 40 different open source application softwares to find the one that fits what they need. Um, and that is not available right now for ease of use for teachers. It's not available at, from the resource side and it's also not available um, on, the, um, on the application side. And so I, I think there's a, anybody listening who's looking for a, a nonprofit program. Um, I think there's a huge need to develop that piece for teachers and students. Okay, so that's our perfect segue into the how do we get their piece of the of the panel now. So Laura's saying there's a need for a clearinghouse. Steve O.C. in the chat earlier you know, asked a question about, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it, it raised for me the issue of who's actually going to do the things that we feel need to be done. So let's shift to that gear and talk about wh what actually needs to happen. Laura says we need a clearinghouse. Uh, again, let's do raising of hands. What else do we need? And who can provide the things that we think are needed? So Steve, you get the your first participant to actually get the mic if you were raising your hand. Go ahead. You need to click the mic button down on the lower left if you wanted to talk. Oh, you don't have a mic. Well, go ahead and put it in the chat, and we'll, we're going to let Catherine then take the next lead. Steve, um, from an Australian perspective, I agree with. Uh, Laura completely. Um, I think uh, that not only do teachers require the access to titles and so on, but also uh, we, I don't know whether you have technicians located in schools, but we have technicians that whose role is just to make sure that things keep working in schools. And I think that if they had a an endorsed um, site from a Department of Education um, that was where they could go to get to open source support that that would offset some of their concerns of um, uh, 
feeling like they were going into um, the, the netherland of the internet to get answers. We know that those answers will come, but I don't think that that gives the level of security that people in schools um, doing mission critical work uh, require. So I agree uh, completely with Laura. I also agree with Mike in that um, I think there's some work to be done um, with leaders. Um, I think if uh, we're talking about change management processes that we really could do with um, working with the school leaders to uh, to work with them about what the benefits are for their students and for their school um, with open source. I'll leave it there because I know other people will want to talk, but there are a couple of my, my there are a couple of things that I'm thinking about. Mike, do you want to go ahead? Uh, yeah, just a couple of things. I mean, and Catherine and I have talked about this shortly. Uh, just a, a short while ago, as a matter of fact, but uh, there are two or three things, and I, I don't want to take the focus away from education, teaching, and learning, because that is that is where the rubber hits the road, so to speak. But Linux, the Linux community, has to start looking for a common installer. Uh, I'm sorry, a tech director who's new to Linux trying to install an RPM program on a Debian machine using a package called Alien uh, is is totally totally out of out of his element or her element. We we really have to start letting these companies who who do the major packages, Red Hat, Novell, Canonical, etc., that there are key pieces here. If Linux is going to have the impact that it should be having today in schools, we really have to focus on a common installer. We have to focus on on a uh, a system that lets people go to this repository of software and and pull it down and try it without being an expert in installing Debian packages or installing RPM packages or whatever. Uh, I, I do think that that on the technical side, and Catherine and I talked about putting together a, a, a group, an international group, to, to start outlining for these companies what education needs and be very specific so they can respond to it. And I think if we do that, Linux is going to take off, open source is going to take off, and it's going to be huge. But I think if we don't do it, I think there, there are major bumps in the road that we're going to have trouble with. Go ahead, Sheila. Uh, yeah, I, I, a lot of the uh, states have regional um, uh, organizations um, that provide professional development services for teachers. Uh, I know in New York we have uh, BOCES, the Board of Cooperative Educational Services, and they provide professional training as well as uh, uh, technology resources and equipment. Uh, we even have uh, teacher centers which are in danger of being going down under the uh, economic uh, crunch that we're under. But those are our, our entities um, that could be the cheerleaders for the open source market because their their focus is to provide resources to school districts uh, for um, a very affordable price, and they offer uh, courses for teachers during the summer breaks or. Uh, 
just uh, they, they are the clearinghouse uh, for um, uh, resources that help teachers in the classroom all year long. So they would be the ideal group to uh, promote uh, the use of open source and Linux and 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 uh, Red Hat, all of these things that 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 we need so so desperately. Uh, and I know there are a lot of states who um, have professional development um, entities like this. Uh, that perhaps that could be a place to to start. So I, I don't want to um, stop anyone else from responding, and, and, and please raise your hand if you'd like to. But this raises a question for me, Sheila, right off the bat, which is: Is this actually? Do we think that this is a problem with open source, and is it actually a larger problem in general with regard to computers in schools? You're saying that that. Are we just not doing school? a Are we just not doing a good job uh, transforming education with computers? And is the lack of adoption of open source just another symptom of our not doing a good job integrating computers into the educational environment? That's that's you're making a very good point. Yeah, that that has some validity. So, Laura, you want to respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to what pretty much all of us have, and, and reading the chat, pretty much what everyone's saying. You know, if you know, in the pre-service programs, teachers become users of technology, but they don't they don't use it for teaching. They use it for personal use. Um, then they go into a classroom and they you know have access to a lab for 35 minutes a week. It never becomes integral to what they're doing. And then you're going to turn around and put open source on top of it, and you know, for the little they use it, and then you're, you know, here's hundreds of thousands of programs. Pick what you want, and I, I do think it, it becomes one of those. I don't, you know, I don't need all of Google. Give me five resources for what I'm doing, um, and I, I think that gets back to that piece that, you know, there, there needs to, it needs to be staged. There needs to be some type of a deployment in schools that walks teachers through it. Everything else they're using, um, when they're using a whiteboard and they're using a projector. I mean, it's a very short training. The rest of it is very transparent. It's just as a tool in what they're using, um, and we we haven't gotten there with technology, you know. I, and I, I think that's part of what we're what we're you know dealing with. We're dealing with the fact because back to kind of what Catherine was saying, you know, yes, there is a learning curve. Yes, it does need to be addressed. But teaching somebody how to use a piece of software. Isn't going to make them effective in the classroom until they can see how it's going to impact student achievement, and and those tools are not there yet. They're getting there, um, and I think, but it, it requires a teacher to go watch another teacher, and you know, in my experience, teachers are not getting out of the classroom, um, and so that becomes very very difficult. But telling a teacher here's 15 pieces of software is you know somewhere along the lines of saying you know here's a library, go find resources and and you should, you know, you should be set to go and teach. Um, and I think that's that's where this this hole exists. It exists in proprietary software. Although when schools tend to purchase that, they tend to purchase the big training pack that comes with it. Um, where open source doesn't have that big training pack. Um, and I think that's where a, a lot of the drop off becomes. Teachers see all this great potential in a workshop. Um, they go back to their classroom and they think, well, I have to teach you know 16th century literature. 
um, I don't have time to do this from scratch. Okay, so this is really getting interesting for me. I also want to make sure that we have time for Q&A, although with a smaller audience, I don't think we're going to have to, to worry as much about that. But I want to invite anybody at this point to, to be thinking about a question to ask. And I'm going to ask very specifically a question, which is why are we not seeing organizations like Red Hat and Novell or IBM really step into this space and help make it happen? No idea. Red Hat had talked about actually doing that a few years ago, and I think because of their shift in education focus, um, we had actually met with some of them about building a clearinghouse and and kind of getting at those, you know, have kind of looking at the first use tools and then moving into kind of less used tools. Um, and same with the curriculum, and it, it just didn't materialize. Mike, I was hoping you would address this one as well. Uh, we're dealing with two issues here, I think. We're dealing with the IBM issue. Um, and I, this is not to uh, be disrespectful of IBM because they're big open source supporters now. But it used to be that everyone bought IBM. You know, data processing shops bought IBM mainframes. They did that because it might not be the fastest, it might not be the best, it might not be exactly what they needed, but they knew they wouldn't get fired over it. So they bought IBM. Uh, we're a little bit in that same boat right now. Tech directors in local schools tend to um, buy what they know, and they tend to buy what they know that they know how to work. I mean, it may not be what they need, but that's what they buy. So along with that, uh, Red Hat, for example, I mean, this is uh, the, the honest truth. We had one school in Indiana who chose Red Hat uh, to use in, in the, their one-to-one -one implementation in, in their high school, and it had difficulties. Uh, Novell, on the other hand, put an engineer in the field here in Indiana to work with schools. So Novell tended to do better than Red Hat when it came to fixing problems. Um, once again, Red Hat committed, and as Laura said, we were unable to, to consummate that commitment. They committed to do it, but they didn't see profits rolling in. You know, schools weren't picking it up, they weren't paying for it, they wanted lower prices, they didn't want to pay the, the top fees that Red Hat charges its commercial customers. And uh, as a result of that, Red Hat backed out. Uh, Novell has pretty much uh, done its own thing, you know, with SUSE, and uh, Ubuntu now is probably becoming the most popular of all because it has the least strings attached. So as an OS, you know, that's the first key is you got to get the OS in place and and convince people that they need to move to one to one. I mean, we so we okay. somehow. Go ahead. Well, I just want to mention one final thing, and that is the fact that that we're now caught on this uh, this computer student ratio thing, the student computer ratio, and everyone thinks they're four to one, and four to one is so much better than they were ten years ago. Uh, so they just want to stay at four to one, 
and and that's a it's a lousy way to measure accomplishment in schools with respect to technology. Okay, so this is this is fascinating for me, and I'd like to point out what seems to be a, there. There seems to be a little bit of tension between a couple of ideas, and and help me understand if maybe I'm missing something. But Laura says, you know, part of the reason that open source is not successful in schools is because we're not providing the kind of curriculum package, curricular package, or support that the commercial companies are. But we're also saying that the the organizations like um, or the products like Ubuntu which have no strings attached are the ones that are actually succeeding. So um, I'm, is there a little bit of wisdom coming out here? I mean it, can we say that because um, uh, if, if computing really hasn't transformed schools then trying to follow the model that's currently being used for deploying computers may not actually be the best model for open source? So please push back on that. Laura, I see you raised your hand, so feel free to go ahead. Well, I, I think there are two different populations. You know, when Mike's talking about Ubuntu, the adoption is happening at the tech director. Um, the teachers generally don't have much say in the operating system that's being used. Um, they generally do have say in the curriculum applications that will be used um, in their classroom. And you know, I, in in Indiana, Ubuntu is is the most popular, um, and Moodle is also. Um, and there, you know, but but what we found with Moodle, which was interesting, is you know, it starts with the quizzes, it moves to the hot potato type stuff, and then it actually moves into that deeper thinking. Um, and so you know, it it does start with a comfort level for the teachers. Um, and and I guess what I'm saying, packages. I, I'm not meaning um, turnkey packages, but I am meaning the pieces that teachers and students would use in day-to-day -day education. Um, I think that's, you know, that's the piece in open source. Um, and it's out there. Everybody has it. It's just not in one place or in multiple places that teachers and students have access to. You need to go out, and, and I'm, I'm watching, you know, as everyone's blogging, and they're going, you know, has anyone looked at this one site or this one site or this one site? And we've been at this for six, seven, eight years. Um, some people even far, you know, far longer. Um, there should be some place where this information can be housed. And I think Australia should uh, take the lead. <laughs> Are you listening, Catherine? I'm listening. Uh, I, w I was going to say that the U.S. could take the lead. Uh, um, from our point of view, from, from my point of view in Australia, um, one of the good things about uh, these sorts of conversations is that I'm reassured that uh, countries such as yourselves are engaged and deeply involved in open source because uh, we look to. Uh, the UK and the US in particular for uh, trends in, in schooling. Um, I, I, I do think though that some sort of clearinghouse that we've sort of uh, mulled over a bit is a, is a very good idea and if there's some way that we could take that uh, forward um, I think that would actually make quite a lot of uh, difference. Um, I also, uh, just a fairly flippant point, but um, Apart from the one that I just wrote, that I, I don't think IT companies really understand the complexity of uh, school environments. But 
also we don't see open source um, advertised on the TV. I don't know whether you see the Microsoft ads that we see, but we see Microsoft ads that are promoting that they'll change everybody's lives and everything will be much, much happier because they've used um, Microsoft. When I was in Frankfurt uh, a couple of years ago, I saw this big sign that said, um, Linux makes Oracle um, unbreakable. And it's the, it's the one and only sign I've ever seen. I stood and took a photo of it because I was so impressed um, that, uh, that really promoted open source. And I think that not only does, it need, uh, does open source need to be promoted in, in the public mind, but it also needs to, it would be a good way of giving people such as ourselves a bit of a shot in the arm for feeling like we're doing something worthwhile. Okay, I got a little distracted because I checked my email and there were several messages from people saying they couldn't get into the room because it, they were getting a message that the room was locked. So maybe we did have more interest in the topic than, than showed by the, the numbers who appeared. And, and good that we're recording because we'll be able to share that out. So I apologize, um, Catherine, for not uh, fully hearing the end of that uh, remarks. So tell us where to go from there. Uh, what's, our, what's our final question uh, of the evening? Steve, it's Catherine. Um, I, I think that um, the strength of the argument about open source rests in um, what a difference it can, it can make to student lives. And I think the fact that uh, we really have to uh, ensure that students leave school not hooked on being only able to use proprietary software but have the problem solving skills and have the information and synthesis skills to be able to be self-contained and uh, uh, capable in their own right of being able to not only access software but also to manipulate it because uh, computers are the way that uh, students' lives are mediated through computers um, and uh, if they don't have uh, uh, an ability to control that environment, then I don't think as uh, teachers we're, we're living up to our responsibilities. Um, so I think that for me, where does it go to has to always uh, work, uh, has to, we have to put the student at the centre of, of, of our debates and our, and our arguments. And I think if we do that, along with promoting it I um, mean, getting companies like Red Hat and, and uh, so on and Oracle to really promote it uh, with as much uh, enthusiasm as Microsoft um, uh, does, then um, I think that uh, there's some of the places that I'd like to see uh, us taking ourselves forward to. Great. Thank you. Jeff, final thoughts? Well, um, I think that uh, we are confronted as a, as a species with a, a number of very serious problems. I, I tell my son, my two sons all the time that they're the ones who are going to have to figure out how to solve the global warming and world hunger and, and, and issues like that. And we need people who think and share and share ideas and, and, and develop the tools to solve problems like that. And I always viewed the free software uh, 
movement in general as part of all of that. That that uh, that my students and the students who are exposed to those kinds of ideas think about how you create the world, and um, that will put them in a better place to be able to address the problems of tomorrow. Sheila. Uh, I agree with that. Um, uh, the technology, uh, open source, uh, it, it's wonderful, but it is just a tool. It it just uh, uh, is something for us to use to hone the skills that we need to solve uh, the world's problems, uh, as as you say. So uh, it's not uh, the 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 Microsoft or the the name of the the software. It's what can you do with it? What kind of uh, learning can you construct? How can you collaborate with others using you know, the tools of open source uh, and, and having an, an affordable uh, price free uh, is the attraction. And yes, we do need to have a huge uh, marketing uh, campaign to let people know and schools know and teachers know. Uh, the availability of the open source tools and how it can be integrated into their everyday classroom practice. Uh, just like uh, they use any other uh, learning or teaching aid in their room, technology and the use of it is not something to uh, run away from or think that it's uh, uh, hard or strange or uh, just something that they're not good at doing. Uh, it is. It can impact the the, the learning that, that happens in the classroom, and that is what we are looking for. That is what we want. We want to make good, self-sufficient citizens uh, of the world, and and open source will allow all schools uh, to get to that to that goal. Mike, final thoughts. Uh, thank you. Uh, first of all, I think this discussion has been uplifting. Uh, it's encouraging to hear so many people talking and asking questions and making comments. And you know, sometimes I think as as people who work in the education area, we we overcomplicate things. And I'm I'm thinking back to the very beginning of the uh, of this session when Catherine who now is, is undoubtedly a world leader in this area, was talking about how she became involved. And indeed, her young son convinced her to look at open source. Maybe we need to listen more, uh, listen to students, and somehow get school people to listen, because out of the mouths of babes sort of uh, came to mind when Catherine said that. As Laura said, and what we've seen here in Indiana, students don't care. They love the fact that they have access and access to research, access to, to writing tools. They, they adore it. Teachers don't care. So if students don't care and they love it, and teachers don't care and they love it because of wonderful applications like Moodle, you know, why aren't we seeing the adoption? Perhaps it's uh, on the tech side. So we need to get them to listen more to the students, because the students are really what it's all about. Okay, Laura, you get the final word. <laughs> um, this is like you know everyone basically describes the universe, and then I get the final word. But um, 
it, you know, adding to that flexibility piece, and I think what this group can really do when you look at next steps is one of the things that we found is you know when we were putting together open source software in science, um, one of the great open source software there's there's Celestia, but there's also Stellarium. And one of the things we started finding when we went into the schools is while it is like a, a, an open source planetarium software, um, the teachers that really were gravitating towards it were secondary English teachers um, as they were teaching uh, Shakespeare and other pieces where they and, and Greek um, you know any of the Greek literature where they were referencing um, uh, whether it be zodiac signs or different constellations and things along those lines. It was English teachers that wanted that software, not science teachers. And I think part of it is getting us to um, make everything available to teachers and, and let teachers you know, start to see how other teachers are using it. And, and looking at a lot of these you know, Classroom 2.0 and some of the other sites that are out there, Curriki, um, but there, there isn't a lot of sharing of that. There's a lot of sharing of individual um, teaching methodology. And I, I think one of the one of the things this group could do and look at is, is sharing of application software and sharing of ideas of you know how Jeff is doing world languages and, and how some of these other pieces are are coming into into play. Okay, well we're right at our uh, time. Uh, thanks to each of our panelists. Uh, again, I've been looking through my email and seeing uh, a good number of people emailing me asking why the room was locked. So apologies. I have no idea. I've never even seen an Illuminate room get locked. But uh, we do have the recording and I will publish it out tonight so people are able to listen to this. I think this was a great discussion. And I think that uh, I'm, I'm leaving with, with a couple of uh, new thoughts for myself, which are very helpful, and also just a great deal of appreciation for each of you for uh, taking the time to be here and for the contributions that you're making to education. Uh, I'm going to give you a clapping hand so you know how much I appreciate you. Uh, if you are willing to fill out the survey, uh, it's helpful to know how you found the Illuminate environment. We do. Uh, Oh, a great debt of gratitude to Illuminate for providing this good, stable platform, and to KnowledgeWorks for funding the interview series. Uh, terrific uh, from both of them, and thanks to you for attending tonight and for your contributions. And, and I'll look forward to uh, increased uh, understanding and, and future good discussions. So thanks and good night.
Okay, moderators, you can't actually close that web tour because you'll close it for everybody else. So if you are trying to move it around, just move it. Thank you much.